snooker hall, theater, cinema. Third time that we've actually um, shown there is a light. We, we've done it now twice in Ilkeston in a campus that we have, a church in, in Ilkeston and also tonight. And I think you can uh, say the guys have really spent a lot of time. Apologies about the screen over this side. I hope it hasn't uh, stopped you over this side from seeing it. But I wonder if we could just show our appreciation to everybody who's been involved in it tonight. It's been brilliant. <clears throat> And I trust you really feel welcome tonight and, uh, and relax. We want you to. And uh, as I said, it's really good to welcome you here. I heard a story recently of a burglar who broke into a house one night looking for stuff to take. And he shined his torch looking for valuables. And when he picked up a CD player to place in his sack, a strange voice echoed from the dark saying, Jesus is watching you. He nearly jumped out of his skin. He clicked his torch off and froze. When he heard nothing more, after a bit, he shook his head and promised himself a holiday after the next big score. And he clicked the light on and began searching for more valuables. Just as he pulled his stereo out, clear as a bell, he heard again, Jesus is watching you. Freaked out, he shined his light around frantically looking for the source of the voice. And finally, in the corner of the room, his torch beam came to rest on a parrot. Did you say that? He hissed at the parrot. Yep, the parrot confessed, then squawked, I'm just trying to warn you. The burglar relaxed. Warn me, who in the world are you? Moses, replied Bird. Moses, the burglar laughed. What kind of people would name a bird Moses? And the parrot answered, the kind of people that would name a Rottweiler Jesus. <laughs> Tonight it's my job to be able to talk to you about the significance of not Jesus the Rottweiler, but the baby born in a stable in a small town called Bethlehem. You see, I'm one of the lucky people because I genuinely love my job. I love what I do. I get to serve with great individuals and teams. In fact, all that Arena does flows from a team. But I also get to meet very interesting people from chief executives of councils and companies and charities to the young person who's struggling at school. And because of what I do, invariably the conversation can often lead to a question that we've already heard on the DVD. Is there more to my life than this? I meet many people who just exist and don't truly live. And there is a difference. The Christmas story, upon careful investigation, when we peek between the tinsel, the baubles, and the dancing Santas, reveals an epic story. A baby called Jesus is born. 
and a new dawn arise. The people at the time of the birth were oppressed by political and economical challenges. The people at that time were breathing, but they certainly weren't living. See, life was tough, harsh and uncertain for Mary and for Joseph and for the masses who lived at this time. Much like today, really, a different generation, but the same issues. People wondering if their jobs are safe, gripped by depression. Many wondering where they will spend the night, full of fear and uncertainty, with unhappiness gripping so many. I wonder if I'm describing your life tonight. What's the significance of a baby? Come on, Christian. Babies have been born and billions of times over, over the centuries. It's true. I remember every one of my four children's births, especially Isaac's. Not because he's the boy. You see, we have three girls. But whilst he was born at home, I could watch England trounce England uh, sorry, I could watch England trounce Wales 2-0 in the World Cup qualifier on the TV in my bedroom. It's absolutely true. It was Lampard and Beckham who got the goals. And the biggest thing was when they weighed him in. He was a whopping 10 pounds, 12 ounces. And for you ladies, you know that's a, quite a big baby. But this birth that we're talking about of Jesus, above all other births, before or after, is so significant Because of who was born. In the wisdom of God, God decided to come to earth from the comfort and safety of heaven. By sending his one and only son, Jesus, born of a virgin. Yes, we actually believe that here. And the angels, upon coming to a group of shepherds, he declares in the Bible that they declared him to be the saviour of the world. The whole story seems incredible. And it is, but it's incredibly real and it's incredibly relevant. God sent light into the darkness. My question is, well, why did he come and what was his coming really all about? Well, the world was broken, pain-filled, sinful and selfish. People were far away from God and there was a need of a mediator, a saviour, a repairer. A bridge was needed to bring man back to God. And this is where Jesus came in. I talk to people who think that God is aloof, is distant, is angry, and is irrelevant. And you may feel this way about God. Many things may have happened to you in your life that have led you to the thought that God is simply not interested in me. Because if he was interested in me, why do these things happen to me? But my Bible tells me, and I want you to hear me loud and clear, guests, people from church, don't matter where you are, young to old, if you don't hear, if you don't understand anything, I want you to hear this and get this one verse. The Bible says this, that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him, should not perish, but have everlasting eternal life. 
He then goes on to say, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen to me, God is not distant, he is not angry, he is not aloof, and he's not irrelevant. God came out of love. He came close. There's a word in this verse that I read, for God so, so. This word so speaks of death, of intensity, of feeling, and of emotion. God associated with our weaknesses and identified with the whole of mankind. He came to save the world, and not as many people think, to condemn the world. If you feel condemned tonight, you don't need to feel condemned any longer, because God loves you. God came to a world, and the world that he came to then is the world similar to the one that he came to. You say, Christian, why would you say that? Well, this world was undeserving, selfish, self-absorbed, sinful, stubborn, and guilty. Sounds like the world that I live in today. And some people would say, well, this is ridiculous. Why would God come? He must be absolutely stupid, reckless, ill-advised to do such a thing. Nobody's interested in God. But you see, God will keep on loving you even if you don't love him back. God's love drove him to send Jesus. The Bible says, I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. And without sounding rude, we're going to give a warm welcome in a short while to the mayor. I don't see many influential and high society people here today. But you see, there's good news because God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses. He chooses nobodies like me to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. Listen to me, God intentionally, not recklessly, wisely, not stupidly, graciously, not angrily, stepped into the world to save the nobodies, the sinful, the wise, the stupid, the rich, and the poor, the lawbreakers and the law abiders, the proud and the arrogant, the educated and the uneducated, the young and the old, the exceptional and the average, the popular and the rejected, for everyone, without exception, just like you and me. I read this letter recently, and I want to read it to you. It's read, written by a man called Daniel Taylor. He's an American author, and he wrote a book titled Letters to My Children. It's a book written for his children, and he wanted to pass down things that he learned, knew, and understand. And in this letter, he writes to his son, Matthew, just stay with me for a moment, Because he writes, dear Matthew, when I was in sixth grade, I was an all-American. I was smart, athletic, witty, handsome, and incredibly nice. He could be talking about me. I am joking, friends. Things went downhill fast in junior high. But for this one year at least, I had everything. Unfortunately, I also had Miss Owens for an assistant teacher. And she helped Mr. Jenkins, our regular teacher. She knew that even though I was smart and incredibly nice there was still a thing or two I could work on. One of the things you were expected to do in grade school was learn to dance. 
My parents may have had some reservations at first, but since this was square dancing, it was kind of okay. So every time we went to work on our dancing, we did this terrible thing. The boys would all line up at the door of our classroom. Then one at a time, each boy would pick a girl to be his partner. The girls all sat at their desks. As they were chosen, they left their desks and joined the snot-nosed kids who honoured them with their favour. Believe me, the boys did not like doing this. At least I didn't. But I think about being one of those girls. I think about waiting to get picked. I think about seeing who was going to get picked before you. Think about worrying that you'd get picked by someone you couldn't stand. Think about worrying whether you were going to get picked at all. Think if you were Mary. Mary sat near the front of the classroom on the right side and she wasn't pretty and she wasn't real smart and she wasn't witty. She was nice, but that wasn't enough in those days. Mary certainly wasn't athletic. In fact, she had polio or something like that when she was younger and one of her arms were drawn up and she had a bad leg and to finish it all off, she was kind of overweight. And here's where Miss Owens comes in. And Miss Owens took me one side and said, Dan, the next time we have square dancing, I want you to choose Mary. She may as well have told me to fly to Mars. It was an idea that was so new and inconceivable that I could barely hold it in my head. You mean pick someone other than the best? The most pretty, the most popular? When my turn came, that seemed like breaking a law of nature or something. And then Miss Owens did a really rotten thing. She told me it was a Christian thing to do. I knew immediately that I was doomed. I was doomed because I knew she was right. It was exactly the kind of thing that Jesus would have done. I was surprised, in fact, that I hadn't read it on a Sunday school flannel board yet. Jesus choosing the lame girl for the Jewish dance. It was bound to be somewhere there in the Bible. I agonized choosing Mary would go against all the coolness I had accumulated. The day came when we were to square dance again. If God really loved me, I thought he will make me last. Then picking Mary will cause no stir. I'll have done the right thing and it won't have cost me anything. But you can guess it where I was instead. For whatever reason, Mr. Jenkins made me first in line. There I was, my heart pounding. Now I knew some of the girls, how they must have felt. The faces of the girls were turned down towards me, some smiling. I looked at Mary and saw that she was half turned to the back of the room. Her face staring down at the desk. And Mr. Jenkins said, okay, Dan, choose your partner. I remember feeling very far away and I heard my voice say, I choose Mary. Never has reluctant virtue been so rewarding. I still see her face undimmed in my memory. She lifted her head and on her face, reddened with pleasure and surprise and embarrassment all at the same time was the most genuine look of delight and even pride that I have ever seen before or since. It was so pure that I had to look away because I knew I didn't deserve it. Mary came and took my arm as we'd been instructed. She walked beside me, bad leg and all. 
just like a princess. Mary is my age now. Never saw her after that year. I don't know what her life's been like or what she's been doing. But I'd like to think she has a fond memory of at least one day in sixth grade. Because I know I do. Listen to me, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. I want you to really get this. And I want to take the most of of this opportunity tonight to let you know clearly what I'm trying to communicate. Listen to me. Jesus came, yes, as a baby, yes, in a stable, with animals. There was angels. It's all true. But the reason why Jesus came into the world was because he loved the world. Jesus came to an unattractive world and chose you and me to dance. The perfect kissing the imperfect. The most holy touching the lowly. Light embracing darkness. The point of Jesus' birth was God reaching out with love, compassion and kindness and his willingness to associate and touch the untouchables just like you and me. In the quietness of my room, the quietness of my bedroom, as I look in the reflection of the mirror, I think of what my life would have been like without Jesus. Because I see myself, and I see myself as I really am, broken and alone, weighed down by my sins, wanting, in need, without a saviour. And Jesus came to save us, to help us, to forgive us, and to love us. He offers you a life that's not boring, that's not full of rituals, as we've heard, and regulations. He offers you a life that is unequal anywhere. He wants to give you life purpose. He wants to take you from existing to now living. To give you peace in the middle of tremendous storms. To give you joy that is not dependent upon whether the sun is shining or you have money in the bank or whether you buy that new toy, dress or car. And this is good news for everyone. I really felt it strongly as I prepared this message that God asked me personally to invite every one of you to receive this free gift of salvation. It happened to me on a dark Friday night in Mansfield Woodhouse in a small church the man at the front invited me as a young teenager to receive this gift of Jesus Christ of salvation and I took him up on that offer I was daft enough to believe it and here I am at the age of 42 not just breathing not just existing but truly living and today you might feel like you have everything but deep down you know you have nothing Or you may be one of those who you feel like you have nothing and you have nothing but what God wants to give you everything. You might feel tonight that you have no need of God. That could be your take but I want to tell you tonight you can't say and stand before God you have not heard the gospel message. I felt it very strongly tonight. There are people who hear and you feel you have no need of God. I want to say we all have need of God. We all need a saviour. We're all wanting. We're all in need. And all we simply need to do It's just receive this gift into our hearts. Some of you have been raised in church and walked away from from God and church because you were done with it, because it was rubbish. Not God, the church. 
We're talking about something different here. Jesus reaching out his love towards you. And all I simply did as a young teenager, I said, God, come into my life. I responded to the prayer that the preacher man at the front prayed. And I want to invite you to do the same. I wonder if you'd bow your heads. If you have children with you, just give me just one minute. That's all I'm going to be. I'm not going to be long. Just hold them with